Amen. Grab a Bible, if you would. Hopefully you brought one with you. And if you did, make your way to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles around you. You can grab one in the seat in front of you, and it's got a page number on the screen, so you can join us there rapidly. Uh, If you want to use an electronic device and follow along in a Bible app that way, that works as well. We just want you to have the Bible open before you. We believe in the power of the Word of God. We know that God would speak to us today through His Word that he would long that we would be able to hear his voice, and we want you to see it and hear it. So our invitation is to have a Bible open and be following along. If you're in an overflow or you're joining us online, it's the same invitation. We hope you have a Bible. We invite you to open it up. We actually just invite you to follow along, and we are praying and longing that God would take his word and make it impact into our lives as he's intended it to. Sunday mornings, we're making our way through 2 Corinthians, and so we are picking up um, the story as we continue picking up on a Bible study we've been working through, and so longing as we do that this morning that God would connect it and make it just impact you in a fresh way today. Without his name, let's take a moment and pray. I'm going to lead you in prayers we often do, and not just out of some kind of rote habit, but in a way of I'm longing that you would ask God to take his word and make it alive to you and speak to you where you are, that you would open up your heart, and just knowing that he would meet you this morning that it would be him speaking into your life in a way that would work good and effective. So let's ask him together for that. Would you join me right now? Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for your truth. God, I thank you that you've given it to us and, and have articulated it, that you've given it to us by inspiration, that you've given it to us in power, that you've given us everything necessary for life and godliness. God, I pray that you'd help us to hear it. I pray for it to work into our lives today, that which you've intended it to work, that you would take your word as you spoke it, as you intended, that you would work it into our lives exactly there. God, you see us where we are. You know where that is for us. Individually, you see our lives. God, would you give us ears to hear, hearts, minds, that can process that which you're wanting to tell us. And Lord, where we are right now in this room, that you would take your truth and speak to us exactly where we are. You're the only one that can do that. I love that you do that, but I'm praying for it now. Take your truth and help us to get it, understand it, and work your truth rightly into our lives. We ask for it right now, and we ask for it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have you ever had somebody take your words and misconstrue them? Take them out of their context so that it sounds like you're saying something that you didn't say? Well, of course you have. You're human. Like that's part of our world in many ways, but it's a frustrating reality. Sometimes it happens in big ways. I mean, you think about media articles that would do it that way. I think about this newspaper article that just began, you know, chief of police, killer isn't working fast enough. They go, what? Like, what did he say? Well, actually what he said in the interview was he said, we don't think this is a serial killer. If he was an experienced murderer, he would have worked much faster. I don't know if you can track the words like, that's not, I wasn't saying that. I mean, you take my words and try to make them say something they're not going to say. Hey, it happens all the time. In fact, it happens in media so much that you should kind of become one of those people. It's like, don't just read that. Don't, don't believe every headline you read. Don't believe it because, it, you know, make sure you've got, like, what, what were they saying? How were they saying it? Because words so easily can be twisted. Hey, it's true in media. It's true in us, but it's true in Scripture. Years ago, I found a Christmas card uh, with this verse inscribed on it. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice, make merry, and send gifts to one another. Sounds like a Christmas verse, right? Like, hey, everybody's making merry, we're sending gifts to one another. Problem is, it's not about Christmas. Actually, it's in the book of Revelation. Uh, it's in the book of Revelation. It's in the moment where the Antichrist rises and kills the two false witnesses. That he kills the two, witness, sorry, no, the two witnesses for Christ and, and, and wipes them out, and the whole world's excited about it. In fact, just backing up a couple verses... It says, when they finish their testimony, the beast, that's the Antichrist, that ascends out of the bottomless pit, will make war against them and overcome them and kill them. Hey, can you just track with me? That, that's not with it. You can't take a verse and make it mean something it doesn't mean. It, it, it's, it's, it's wrong. It's taking a verse out of its place, and it's using it wrongly, but let's go a tiny bit further. The Bible's powerful. The Bible is powerful. 
but it's powerful in what God intended it to mean. Gives it to us this way in the book of Isaiah, right? So shall my word, God says, be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So God's word, it's powerful. It's effective, but only in the place that God meant it to be. You can't take a verse and and make it work and mean something that God didn't mean it to mean because it doesn't work there. It doesn't work in that way. It doesn't work in that space. So the only way that God's word is going to work powerfully in our lives is by saying, God, what does it mean? What are you saying so that I would understand that and then it could work powerfully? Hey, that's good because sometimes you've maybe found it. Sometimes people try to take a verse out of their context and they're like, it's not working. It's like, well, it's because it's not what it means. Like you can't make it mean that no matter how much you say it. It only means what God says it means. And so one of the great things always when we approach the Bible is saying, God, what were you saying? What does it mean? So that we can then apply it in the right way. Well, that's important as we head into this section this morning because God's going to talk to us about having a same spirit of faith, and we want to understand what that looks like. So why don't you notice it with me? You're there in your Bible, First, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to be just begin there in verse 13. Let's read that together. It says, And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. God's inviting us to see this. He's telling us, hey, there's a spirit of faith, and he ends up saying, hey, we can have this, and we can believe and speak. So what is this verse talking about? Well, let's just be clear. Honestly, just a surface reading of it, you might misunderstand, but honestly misunderstand. I mean, maybe you've read this before. Maybe you read it even this week, and you're like, I don't know what that's saying, or I think I know what it's saying. Um, Because it almost sounds like, hey, I'm going to believe this, and I'm going to speak it. You know, that I'm going to, you know, believe and speak. It's, It's kind of the same thing. It's kind of articulating it. Or maybe it would go even more than that. We talked a little bit last week that... um there's a lot of lies out there that kind of counterfeit as Christianity and uh, kind of the prosperity movement and those who would say that, you know, if you're a Christian, everything's going to go well for you. And in one vein of that, we talked briefly about a thing called positive confession. And there's this weird lie that says, hey, you know, you've got to believe it and speak it. You know, you've got you to believe it and what you, then you've got to speak it because what you speak, it's going to speak in power. And if you've never heard that, that's great. Don't go look into it. You don't need to know. But... Um, <laughs> Just saying it, this is, one of their, this is one of their key verses. This is one of the verses like, here it is. We believe and we speak it. We believe and we speak it. And they say, hey, that's what this is about. But I want to tell you, that's not what it's about. So what is it about? Well, let's work our way there. Let's build ourselves around it, try to understand what this is, and then apply it as God spoke it. Apply it in the way that God wants us to understand it. Well, we want to just begin understanding that he's saying to you and I, we can have the same thing. So again, in verse 13, since we, that is you and me, have the same spirit of faith. You, me, we have this same spirit of faith. What is that? Well, again, we'll just kind of define some words, words that are pretty simple. So I think you would understand them all by yourself, but we'll just think about it. We think about faith. Faith is belief. In fact, honestly, the word in Greek, believing and faith, are almost identical words. They uh, really are the same, and so there's not a difference between faith or belief. Just FYI, they're the same. So it is to have faith in something is to have confidence, to believe that. So as you and I can have this, this confidence. In fact, we can have the same spirit of faith. When he uses the word spirit, it's not talking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, It's talking about the idea of the essence or the breath or the substance. Uh, The word spirit is literally that, breath. Uh, And and so sometimes it's talking about the Holy Spirit is the very essence and breath of God. But sometimes it's just the idea of, hey, it is kind of the heartbeat of this. And it's that, saying, hey, we have the same heart. We have the same spirit of faith. We have the same essence of faith uh, that is there. So we have this faith, the spirit of faith, which is, well, I've already said it, it's the same. It's the same. It's the same as what Paul was just describing, as what David is going to describe, or the psalmist 
is going to describe in a moment. And it's the same that we're supposed to have. In other words, part of understanding this verse has to understand where it fits in its context. And if you were with us last week, we talked about that we have the same spirit of faith, we have the same thing that, that Paul and David have, and we saw in its context uh, that we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now, quick FYI, maybe you weren't here last week, and that is, I'm just going to tell you, well, it's going to be a little bit hard because some of what we want to say right now builds off of that. I think we'll still get there, I think you'll understand it, but I will also say, great thing about technological age. Hey, if you're like, well, I, I think it might be helpful for me to have last week's message, I think so too. Uh, go back and, and watch it. We have it on our website. We have it on YouTube. Uh, you can go and find it. And, and go back and see this where he in this context is saying, we have a treasure. What's the treasure? Well, the treasure is the gospel. The treasure is Christ. In fact, he'll talk about it in verse 4 that we have the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, which is in a mouthful of an amazing reality. We have this glorious light that is the gospel that is gloriously in Christ of Christ that is his it's a treasure beyond anything that we could possibly get close to but we have this treasure in jars of clay so how it says it back in verse 7 back up and see it there it says but we have this treasure in earthen vessels or jars of clay that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. And then he goes through and gives us a number of things that kind of picture what does that look like? What does it look like to have a jar of clay and at the same moment have the treasure of Christ? Well, let's just read through it beginning in verse 8. It says, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted or pursued, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying, about, carrying in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Wow. This is the Christian life, rightly understood, rightly seeing where we are. We are sometimes stressed out, sometimes confused, Sometimes we feel alone, pursued. Sometimes we are knocked down, and FYI, we're all dying. Like, everybody's going to die. I hope that's not like just bright new news to you. I mean, if Jesus doesn't come back, you're going to die. In fact, that's more what he's going to talk about next week, that day by day we're getting closer to that, that we're in this space, that we're on this journey. But here's the thing. That's the jar of clay. At the same moment, though we are pressed, we're never crushed, we are perplexed. We're never in despair. We are pursued, but he never leaves us alone. We are prostrated or knocked down, but not destroyed. We die and will die, but we live because Christ rose. We have this incredible kind of thing that goes hand in hand, and it's intentional. It's purposeful. In fact, we spent more time on it last week, and I don't have time to dive into it, so if you want to go back and see it, I mean, it's the very nature of the gospel. That is the nature of why the church is still in the world today and, and the way that that's supposed to happen on purpose so that we are communicating both the death and life of Christ and the gospel rightly seen in this world can only be articulated in that space and it's intentional, it's powerful, it's purposeful and amazing. So we're certainly talking about that as we're here in this section here this morning we're saying here, whatever we're going to talk about, this same spirit of faith, it has to connect to what we just said, which is this understanding that life can be hard, that life can be hard, but we have a victory that's ours in Christ. Now, to that, he adds another thought. You might notice it there in verse 13. He says, and since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, beginning quote, I believed, and therefore I spoke, end quote. We also believe, therefore speak. Yeah, he's quoting something here. I mean, he, he literally says, hey, this was written. We have the same thing the way it was written. And then he gives us a verse, a quote, out of Psalm 116. Now, right off the bat, that should kind of direct our attention there, right? So that whatever is spoken of here, he's saying, hey, it's the same thing that was spoken there. Like we have, we, that, that thing that was articulated in Psalm 116, 
that's ours. Like, that's what we have. So there's no way to kind of understand this without kind of trace, like, okay, so what was that? Where was that found? Because if we understand it there, we'll understand it here. So we want to do that. So if you have your bulletin there, you have one of those nice little Bible bookmarks, go ahead and place it there in 2 Corinthians and make your way over to Psalm 116. Psalm 116. Make your way there. Psalm's right in the middle, so you should be able to find it rapidly. If you need to use the index at the front of your Bibles, do that. Make your way there so we can see very quickly the entirety of the psalm, so we can understand what's being said here, so we can catch the reference, so we can know how God is wanting to say, hey, we have this same. We have the same spirit of faith that is found here in Psalm 116. Begin with me, if you would, there at the beginning. We'll just notice the first two verses. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. It's a good beginning. It's a good beginning. And the psalmist just says, I love God because he hears me. I love God. He answers my prayers. I love that he hears. I love that he hears what I'm asking. I, I love the Lord because he's heard my voice and my supplications. And I want to tell you, it's a good beginning that would invite us to the same thing, that would cause us to say, I, that as we would recognize talking to God, praying, and where that's rightly found, God meeting us in that, and it creates a space that we could and should be able to say, God, I love you. <laughs> I love you because of what you're doing. In fact, that kind of overviews the psalm kind of where it's going to go, how it's going to work, so that ultimately the response would be this response of, God, I love you because of what you are and how you hear me and how you respond. Well, with that, he takes us into the understanding of a difficult situation that the psalmist found himself in. Verse 3, the pains of death surrounded me. The pains of Sheol laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Wow. The psalmist describes a really difficult trial. Most Bible students believe for a number of reasons that this is a psalm of David. Uh, and so if so, then it would be one of David's trials. But we don't know exactly which one it was. We don't know uh, which hard moment that this would be reflecting off of. And that's probably purposeful. I mean, in one sense, so that we can see it in a much larger way, but this we can understand. It was a hard trial. It was a hard trial. He says it's painful. He says it was the, the pains of death, and literally the idea of pain, and it hurts. Like, it's painful. He says it surrounded me. It, it, it kind of wrapped its arms around me. In fact, some of your translations will say, you know, the ropes of death or the pains of death surrounded, almost as if death itself, you know, cast a, a noose around him and was pulling him down. You know, he says, I can feel it. I can feel sorrow. I can feel death pulling at me. And he says, it's sorrowful. It's sad, it's trouble. Whatever it was, it was a hard situation. It wasn't something easy. It was something, wherever the psalmist is, it was something that was an incredibly difficult moment. And that's something you should just feel for a moment. Because if you can't feel even a little bit, you might miss it. It's hard. This is a hard moment. This is a really hard thing that the psalmist was going through. But he prays. He prays. He prays to God, he prays to God in the midst of this, and God answers. Verse 5, gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low, and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death. My eyes from tears, my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Wow. It's a good moment. It's a good moment that, that God meets him, that God meets the psalmist. And he says, God, you heard me. You, you rescued me. You were my deliverer. You were the one that stepped into my situation and rescued me out of it. Now, once more, just to say very practically, we don't know how. We don't know what it was. We just know that he says, you preserved me. 
Um, you've dealt bountifully with me. You delivered me. Um, you, 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 know, you brought me up from that situation. And we don't know how God did that, because again, we don't know exactly what the trial is, but a couple things we can quickly articulate. You know, God answers prayer. God really does answer prayer. And, and he does work in amazing ways, and our God is a delivering God. He will deliver us from hard things. But the way that he delivers us is not always the same. Sometimes he rescues us out. Sometimes he rescues us out of the trial. Sometimes he heals when we're sick. Sometimes he provides where there's a, a brokenness. Sometimes he fixes and, and heals. And then sometimes he strengthens us. Sometimes his answer doesn't change the situation. It changes us. Sometimes his answer is, is not that the situation changes, but we change and that now we're able to handle it. Now we've, like, God, you heard me, you rescued me, you strengthened me so that I could, I could do this, so I could do that thing that is in front of me. And both of those are good answers. And the way that God works is amazing, and the psalmist felt it. He said, I love God. I love him. He heard me. He answered me. He, he saw me where I was. He saw what I was going through, and he rescued me good space, right? I mean, good place for us to understand God kindly, mercifully, graciously ha has answered the request. And then in verse 10, just the first part of the verse, don't read more than just the first part of the verse, just the first part. I believed, therefore I spoke. Stop there. That's our quote, right? That's our quote. I believed and I spoke. That's what's given to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 where he says, hey, we have the same spirit of faith. As it was written, I believed, and I spoke. Now, here's kind of our question. So what do we do with that? What, it, what is it that is being spoken? What is it that's being articulated? Well, let's just read it. Let's just notice what he says. Verse 10, I believed, therefore I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, what, what? Yeah, what was it he was saying? He says, hey, it's a really hard thing. I spoke it. I said it. I am greatly afflicted. It is sorrowful, what we saw in verse 3. It is hard. It is difficult. And people, they are so disappointing. Like, everybody's a liar. I mean, that's what he spoke. Wow, wait a second that actually changes this significantly. See, if we didn't have Psalm 116, we might have understood kind of like the positive confession movement that maybe we're supposed to believe and speak positively. Like we're supposed to say good things because that's what it is, but that's not the context. Now, the New King James makes it a little bit hard. So if you're following the Bible with me, you have the New King James, you might notice again the way it reads in verse 10, I believed, therefore I spoke, and it kind of makes it sound like the belief is what created the speaking, but that's not actually the Hebrew word that's used there. It, it is a connective word that can uh, just say, hey, at, you know, kind of a connected to it. In fact, when is probably a better translation in this space. If you have the ESV, it renders it that way. It says, I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. That's probably a better kind of just in the midst of it because it certainly fits what's being said. Like, I believe, even when I spoke, boy, this is really hard. I am greatly afflicted, and everybody's a liar. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, those are the words that he's speaking, and yet he's saying, I believed it and spoke that. Well, that's going to change everything. That's going to change how this works and certainly how it fits into the midst of what we're doing. That when we think about how God is doing this and, again, how he's connecting it in 2 Corinthians, which, again, our goal is to say, okay, God, your, your word doesn't return to you void. It accomplishes what you sent it for. What did he send it for? What is it speaking? So keep a marker here in Psalm 116, uh, whether it's your, your bulletin over there or Bible marker and wake your way back over to 2 Corinthians where we are. And let's notice it once more. Second Corinthians there in verse 13, we just read it. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed. And therefore I spoke, we also believe. 
and therefore speak. Wow. So now with the knowledge that you have about Psalm 116, now that you know what that reference is, what is this saying to us? Well, we would maybe say it this way, that you and I are invited to believe and yet speak honestly. We're invited to believe in God and yet be able to say, hey, this is a really hard thing. I'm greatly afflicted. And everybody's a liar. Like, this is a really hard moment because that's what you're feeling in the midst of it. And he's inviting us into a space that that's actually not contradictory. In Christ, it actually goes together. Now, in some ways, I'm trying to say again some of what we said last week. And so if you're with us last week, somebody might go, Jim, I got it last week. Man, I, that made sense. It worked. Good. Then let it just kind of come again. For somebody else, it might be like, I kind of heard you. I'm not sure I got it. Let me try it again. So here's the thing. If your version of Christianity rightly lived is a place where we're supposed to be in the place that everything's beautiful and everything's good and everything's great, if sometimes life feels like it's all good and you think that, you think that's what a good day in a Christian life looks like, I just want to lovingly tell you, that's not true. Like, if you're here this morning, and I'm just going to be really kind about this, if you're here and you're like, no, Jim, it's all good today. Like, everything's good for me. I just want to say, you're wrong. Uh, you're wrong. I mean, if you think it's all good right now, that's great, but you're wrong because you're in a world that's broken and you're dying. Like, you're one more closer, you're closer to the grave today than you've ever been. You know, good news, right? And you're like, well, Jim, that's not what I wanted to hear. You know, like, that's not the, but that's what he's telling us. That's what he's going to tell us in the next verse. Like, day by day, we're getting, we're dying. We're getting closer to that. We're living in this space so that if you think that way the Christianity is supposed to be lived, that, is that we're supposed to be in a place where it's all good, that's not what he's saying. He's very intentionally saying that's not the design. We have this treasure, this treasure of the glory of Christ, of the gospel in earthen vessels. Like that's on purpose. This is, a, this is intentional so that it can't be all good. It's never going to be that here. But neither, if you're in Christ here this morning, is it ever all bad. Now, again, let's just be honest. Hey, maybe you're there. Maybe, maybe that's your day this day. Maybe it's been that way this week. Sometimes we get into moments and the hard things in life get so bad that we can't see the good. And we find ourselves feeling that everything stinks. Everything's hard. Everything's difficult. And I just want to tell you if that's where you are today or if that's where you've been, you're wrong. You're wrong because the gospel changes everything. And, you've, and, and it changes all of your life all the time. Now, we could spend more time on this, but I'll quickly just toss it out to you. Hey, that's the whole nugget of Psalm 73. If that's where you are this morning, you might just want to write down Psalm 73 in your notes and go back and see it. Asaph writes Psalm 73, and he talks about how hard life had gotten, how unfair life had seemed, how nothing seemed to be going well, how unfair God seemed to be in the midst of it. And he begins to articulate moments that he felt like God failed him. He feels like God abandoned him, like he was all alone, but he gets rescued out of it. I mean, he gets rescued out of it. God brings him to it, but he takes a moment to look back on that dark moment, to look back on the day where he was, was, felt like the whole world was bad and everything was bad, and he just looks back and he says this. He says, my heart was grieved. I was so foolish and ignorant, nevertheless. I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. He says, when I didn't think about it, when I thought, God, you failed, you actually never left me. You never. You never left me alone. I didn't see you. But your hand was holding on to me so that even in my dark moment, you were there. Like, even though I was pursued, perplexed, Paul would say, you know, pressured, you never abandoned me. And my, my, my end was certain. I mean, there's a beautiful place in Christ that is that. So let's just kind of say it this way. Hey, the real Christian life is neither of those. The real Christian life rightly lived is gloriously good and temporarily bad at the same time. <laughs> just, just hear it again. The real Christian life as it's meant to be lived is gloriously good and temporarily bad at the exact same time moment so that we would say, I have this treasure. I have the gospel. 
the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ in this earthen vessel, in this broken space. I have both of them, and they're meant to be lived together. They're meant to be lived in a space where we find ourselves saying, I can do both of those at the same moment. I can do both of these at the same space, and that's how it's supposed to be lived. That's how this whole thing's supposed to be going, which is why he tells us, hey, we have the same thing. You, me, Paul, the, 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 the psalmist in the back, this is the essence of faith. This is the spirit of it that we get to do the same thing. Now, maybe, again, that just is landing and making sense, but I just want to tell you, maybe I'm talking to one person right now that you just didn't believe this. You sit here this morning, and somehow you think you're the only one. I mean, you sit here in this room, you're like, man, is it great? These people seem like they have it all together. I mean, I, I asked a number of them this morning, and they said it was all good. <laughs> they said they were all good. I asked them, and, 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 I, and I looked at them, and in the back of my mind, it's like, I'm not all good. Like, I'm, I mean, I am all good, and I'm not at the same time. I mean, I have, I mean, the gospel's good, but I'm having a hard time, too. And you think, well, maybe I'm the only one. Maybe nobody else is doing what I'm doing. Maybe I'm the only one that is encompassing life this way, and I just want to tell you, not so. I like how Paul would say it in 1 Corinthians, no temptation is overtaken you except such as common to man, but God is faithful. He makes a way out. I like that. But it's worth just understanding. Hey, you know what? You're not the only one. It's common. Like what we're facing, the struggles, the trials, the difficulties, so is everybody else. So is everybody else. There's not anybody in this room that isn't. You might be here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus. You are experiencing the difficulties, you just don't have the hope. You have all the problems, though. You're dying. You're dealing in a world that's broken and filled with sickness and pain and sorrow and suffering. You just don't have the hope. And we're longing that you gain that this morning, and we're offering it to you. But if you're a Christian here this morning, there's not, you're, you're, not, you're not alone. Every single one of us has the exact same spirit of faith. We get to come and say, it's gloriously good and hard <laughs> at the same moment. I mean, like, that's the road that God has created for us, and somehow to know that you're not alone becomes really, really helpful. Now, in fact, with that, Paul just wants to take it and, and, and just tie it into a couple just practicalities that will make sure we can kind of say that same spirit of faith in, in light of a couple ways of articulating it. So, again, maybe this will help it land just a little bit more. Let's just begin reading in verse 13 for the context. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and present us with you. He says, here's what we know. Jesus died. He rose. He rose. And if you know him, if you're a follower of Jesus, He's coming back, and we're going to rise together with him, that we know how this whole thing ends, we, that we can have a spirit of faith that would say, I am absolutely confident. I am not worried about where this is going. I know how this whole thing ends. I know where the world is going, and I know how it's going to end for me, we can say in Christ, even though at the same moment we can believe and speak about it being difficult in what's sometimes been called the messiness of the middle. Messiness of the middle. Let me try to say it a different way. So theologians sometimes talk about this, and they'll say, you know, we live in an interesting thing that is the already and the not yet. It's already done. Christ has already won. He died on the cross, paid for our sins, rose from the grave. It's done. It's already done, but it's not yet. <laughs> I mean, we, we're, we haven't risen with him yet. We, we're not in heaven yet. And so we live in this space that it's already and not yet. And so we live in a place, what theologians have kind of said, is it's the messiness of the middle. <laughs> it's like we live where we, we know the whole thing, but it's hard sometimes in the middle of it. But that's exactly where we are, where we get to come and say, I know how this ends. You know, we said it in song just a moment ago. I don't know about you guys. It's one of my favorite songs that kind of just thinks through this and, and kind of processes these things. And we sang through uh, the song you've already won. And we just sang a song, God, I know how the story ends. I know. I know where this goes. I know what the future holds. I, I know Jesus wins. 
He's coming back, and heaven's coming. I know. I know how the story ends. Even though he goes on to say, I'm fighting a battle. I'm in the messiness of the middle. You've already won. I'm, uh, you already won, and I'm in this messy middle. But no matter what comes my way in this messiness of the middle, I know what comes. I know where we're going. I know the end of the story. I, I know what happens. So that even we said, I don't know what you're doing. Like, messiness of the middle. I don't know what's happening. But I know what you did. I know you already accomplished the, the weight on the cross. So I'm living in this space where I'm fighting a battle. You've already won. That's a beautiful faith. That's a beautiful faith that says, hey, I can do that. That I can step into this place and say, I believe God. I believe the end of the story. But I also can be honest. The in-between can be a little bit hard. The in-between can be a little bit hard. You know, sometimes it just is that way. Sometimes it is just that, that middle space. And, and one doesn't negate the other. In fact, somehow it's meant to be both that we're meant to be able to say, I believe, I believe, I know the end of the story, but I can also speak, it's difficult. Wow. Well, he gives us that, so in one sense we believe, we believe where it's going, but we also believe more. Go back and continue, beginning in verse 15. It says, for all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Boy, there's a bunch there but it might just be helpful just to begin with the first part of it. For all things. For everything. For all things are doing something. Everything's doing something that nothing that we're going through is wasted. Nothing is pointless. Nothing is purposeless. Yeah, that's powerful. That's what the Bible tells us, right? You guys know at Romans 8, 28, that well-known verse we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. It's a great verse. It's sometimes misunderstood. It doesn't apply to everybody. It doesn't apply to those who don't know Jesus. This is only for those that do. But for everybody who does know Jesus, this is an absolute promise. All things. Not some things. Not most things. Not many things. Everything is working. Everything is doing something. Everything God is working through for his glory, to work for the gospel, to do a, a work in the midst of our world that Paul would say, hey, it's going to change other people. Some of what we're going through, he says, is for other people, for their sake, so that the grace could be just extended through our life, bringing thanksgiving and others, but it has a point. It has a plan. In fact, keep reading. You've got your Bibles there in, in 2 Corinthians 4. Go down a couple of verses to verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Wow, that's a good verse. We'll come back and kind of get there next week. But we just worth noting it here. Whatever we're going through, it's a light affliction. It, in, in comparison to eternity, it's not much. It's not even going to last that long. It's for a moment. But catch those words. In fact, I'll put it up on the screen. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. It would do incredible if you just would know that. In fact, it's incredibly helpful. It's incredibly helpful. doesn't mean we always understand the answer, but understand this. If you don't believe this, it only makes what you're going through harder. If you're going through something hard this morning, and most of us are in one way or another, whatever the difficult thing in your life is, if you believe that it has no, no value, if you believe that there's no point for whatever it is you're going through, it has no purpose, it's not doing anything, it only makes that difficulty a hundred times worse. Because you look at it and think, this is pointless. Boy, this doesn't mean anything. This doesn't mean anything. That I would go through this has no value. That's a lie. In Christ, it has value. It always has value. He is always working. He is always working good. So we can believe that nothing is wasted, but catch again the context. We believe and we speak. We can still say it's hard. We can feel and speak that it's difficult, that life can be hard and it's confusing, and that's not two things that are different from each other. It's 
totally fine to be able to say, I know God is working good through this. I'm not having a lot of fun. <laughs> I, I know this is, I know God's working, but I'm not liking it. Like this is a, this is a hard thing. That's not a lack of faith. That's honesty. That, that's, that's integrity. It says, hey, this is a hard moment. In fact, you could be like, with the psalmist in Psalm 116, I trust God, and everybody else is a liar. Like, I just like, like that can be faith. That can, it's like, I trust God, but everybody else, I have, boy, not so much. People fail me all the time, and, and, and yeah, God, I believe you. And it doesn't move it. It doesn't change it. It doesn't make one invalid from the other. In fact, sometimes it's just the most honest thing you can possibly say. And just to be able to believe that, you mean I can, I can believe that God is going to work this out in the end, and I can believe God has good things in this, and I can still say it's not so much fun. I can still say it's difficult. Yeah, that's exactly what he's saying. That's exactly what he's telling us here, that we can do this, that we have the same spirit of faith, that in the context before this, we are pressed, you know, hard-pressed, not crushed. We're perplexed, you know, but, you know, ultimately not confounded. We, we get, you know, persecuted or pursued, but we're never alone. We have all of that, but they go hand in hand. So how should that kind of land there? Well, I'll tell you what, let's pause here. We'll be back to 2 Corinthians in a moment. Let's go back to Psalm 116. I asked you to keep a marker there, so hopefully it should be really quickly for you just to flip the screen, flip the page back over there uh, to Psalm 116, because we didn't finish the psalm. We did read that, what we were just talking about, and so we did it there in verse 10. It says, I believed, therefore I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. Then he asked the question, what shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits toward me? Quickly pausing, putting it again in context, this psalm is written in the, in the, on the other side of it. It says, I was having a hard time, and I cried out to God, and he heard me. I love God, he says in verse 1. I love him, because he heard me, and he rescued me out of the difficult space. So how do I, how do I respond to this? How do I respond to what God has done for me? Well, he gives us three things, three things that kind of articulate a surrender to God, a place that's there. There's probably more that you could get out of it, but I think three things will help us kind of think it through, and maybe all three are needed in your life this morning. Maybe all three will be where you are, but most likely, one of these three is you. Most likely, one of these three is how you're meant to respond to this chapter in Psalm 116, what it's supposed to do into your life. So what are those three things? Well, the first one, it says there in verse 13, I will take up the cup of salvation. I will call upon the name of the Lord. God might be inviting you into a relationship with him. Maybe your great need this morning is to be saved, to take what God is offering. Once more, you might be in this room. And it's kind of a funny thing. It could be that we might think, well, Jim, this is not really a great salvation kind of message. I mean, this isn't the kind of place where people, you know, will want to get attracted. But see, that's actually not true. He says we get the, that we have the, the power of the gospel in jars of clay. That sometimes it's our difficulties that magnify the, the gospel in ways that our good days could never do that. And maybe you're here this morning and you just needed to know that. Maybe you looked upon it and you looked at Christians and you say, well, you guys don't have it all together. I mean, you guys, are, you guys are still imperfect and broken. And what does that mean? It's like, we are. We are absolutely imperfect and broken. And we're in pain and we're dying. But you know what? We win. We have the gospel. We understand your life. We understand what it is to be hurting. We understand your confusion. We understand what sin has done in your life. And God has still left us with a connection to that so that you can see Jesus so that you could believe upon Jesus, and maybe this morning you need that, and I like the way it's just written. Take it. The idea is he's giving it. Jesus, you know, tells us, you know, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Ephesians says, you know, for by grace we've been saved through faith. It's a gift. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's not anything you could do right now to earn this. There's not anything you could do to gain it. It's a gift to be taken. And maybe this morning that's you. Maybe it's you that you can feel that God is holding out the gift of salvation to you this morning, that he's telling you that this is why he sent his son, 
and, and that you need Jesus. And as much as you can, you just need to take that. You need to take that salvation. If that's you this morning, we're pleading with you, pleading with you today, surrender your life to Christ, accept that. Or maybe it's the second one. Yeah, keep reading. So we get that in verse 13 where he tells us, I'll take the cup. Then he says in verse 14, I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of his people. And he talks about a return or a recommitment to what God has for his life. In fact, he says it twice. He says in verse 14, I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of his people. He says it again in verse 18, I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of his people. That there's a little bit of a place of saying, God, I'm, I'm going to keep my, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going I'm I'm to stay doing, and maybe it, it had wandered. Maybe the person had wandered away from God, and now they're coming back and saying, God, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back and live for you. Or maybe you're living for God, and it's just a recommitment to that, saying, God, I'm going I'm I'm to be what you have. I'm, I'm not going to be turned away from that. And here again, just track with me for a moment. That might be you this morning needing this. See, it's a weird thing. Sometimes, um, because we didn't understand this is the way it was supposed to be, that we didn't understand that God's intention is to have this incredible treasure, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ in these jars of clay. Sometimes when we find ourselves in a jar of clay and we find ourselves face to face that life is hard and you're having a hard time, for somebody here this morning, your response to that is to pull back from God. And, and, and you kind of do so in your own weird way, trying to be, have integrity. It's like, well, you know, how can I tell other people about Jesus when I'm having such a hard time? You know, how can I tell my neighbors, you know, if I, like, look at me, like I'm having a hard day. And, and you know, that certainly means that I'm not going to be a good witness for Christ today. I shouldn't tell anybody about Jesus. Like I probably shouldn't even go to church. I shouldn't pray. Like, you know, because life is hard and everybody's a liar, you know. And, you know, so I'm just, you know, I probably should just not serve Jesus. But the funny thing is that's a lie. Maybe it was just a lie you believed that you thought somehow serving Jesus was going to be perfect. And instead, he's like, no, no, I'll tell you what, you're going to be hard-pressed. You're not going to be crushed. You're going to be perplexed. You're going to be totally baffled about life. But he's going to be with you. I mean, he's going to tell you, hey, that's how this works. And so maybe for somebody here this morning, you're going to see that, oh, wait, you mean that's normal? I can have that same spirit of faith that you have and that Paul had and, and, and the psalmist has? And I can say, God, I believe you. I believe you won. I believe the end of the story. I believe heaven's coming. I believe that you're working all for good. This is a hard moment. You mean I can do that and, 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 and be faithful to God? Yes, you can. In fact, you, this is really the only way you can. Anything else is a lie. And so maybe for you this morning, it's a coming back. Maybe your hard place made you feel that you couldn't serve God, love God, share Christ, and you absolutely can. Maybe you need to say, God, I'm going to return. I'm going to keep my vows. I'm coming back. I'm, I'm going to be the person you want me to be in the world that you made me to live in. I'm going to do that. That's what the psalmist is saying, says it twice, so certainly it's powerful. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe it's that relationship. Maybe that's return. Or maybe it's just coming back to a rest that's in the Lord. Yet I like the way it really gives it. Go back to verse 7 as really the psalmist speaks to himself. He just almost talks to his own self. He says, return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Come back to God. Trust Him again. Rest in Him. In fact, he'll say it again in a number of ways. Go down to verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Again, we could go through this and, and give more kind of breakout, but I think it's enough just to understand, and I just want to come back to and tell you, hey, you're going to die. Jesus doesn't come back, you're going to die. In fact, our verses next week in 2 Corinthians are going to say us that, like day by day we are dying. But you know what? God has that day in mind. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Our, our death isn't an accident. It's not, not untimely. It, it's this place where we come in and say, okay, God, I'm in this hard space, but you look at that, and you, you, you've, you've designed it. It's precious. He goes on to say, Lord, I'm your servant. I'm, the ser I, I'm your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. 
I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem. And he just ends with, praise the Lord. Hey, it's a good space that maybe again in the midst of this, maybe it's not that you need to get saved. It's not that you're walking in disobedience, but somehow you just need this to wash over you and say, hey, welcome to what it is to live the Christian life. You're not the only one. You're not the only one. We have the same spirit of faith. Return to your rest. Return to your rest that would say, God, I believe you. And this is hard. <laughs> I believe you, but it's still hard. And, I, and just say, I can rest in that. I can find help in, in, in being holding to God's glorious promise and being honest in the midst of life at the same time. And just knowing that you're not the only one, it could be this like, there's rest for my soul. There's rest for my soul there. And if that's you this morning, if it's just washing over you, I want to tell you, this is what God wants it to do. This is why he gave us this. Now, I want to add one more thing. One more thing, and then we'll pull this to a close this morning. And this addition is actually, it it might, if God will help, um, augment it in such a powerful way that it will take it further and deeper than what we just talked about. But I don't want to distract it, because if you hear it wrongly, it'll mess it up. So Psalm 116 is an interesting psalm. We're not absolutely certain who wrote it, though most Bible students think it's David. Again, we don't know what the situation was, but boy, it, it, it fits. I mean, it's not like we couldn't look there and say, well, David, yeah, it could have been there or there or there. I mean, there were, there were a number of places that it could accurately fit his life, and it probably did. Whatever the situation was, it was real. That said, Psalm 116 becomes something that is both true of that situation, but at the same moment, it becomes something that is known as a messianic psalm. A messianic psalm because it not just talks about what that one was going through, but it pictures Christ, that it gives us a window into the life that he lived, and honestly, it's a good fit. Jesus was fully acquainted with our sorrows. He is a man of grief. He came to our world, lived into our world, and he experienced suffering. In fact, Psalm 116 probably doesn't just describe Christ. It's specifically speaking about a specific moment, which is the Garden of Gethsemane, which is a moment the night before Jesus goes to the cross. And he, in the weight of his sorrow and the weight of what he's doing there, comes to God and he's asking, God, if there's any other way, take this cup away from me. If there's any other way, I don't want want this cup. And yet he will take the cup of salvation. He will take this cup of salvation and literally fulfill everything that's in this psalm. In the presence of his people, in the courts of, uh, of Jerusalem, he will lay down his life for us. Man, we think about that incredible weight. We think about how it's given to us in Matthew where it says that he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed And he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. Even to death, stay here and watch with me. So Jesus is doing exactly what it said. He believed. He never lost, he never doubt, he never turns away from God. He never abandons God, but he's still speaking it. Hey, this is really stressful. This is, I am deeply distressed. He's deeply distressed. He says, I'm so sad. I can feel the cords of death wrapping around me. I can feel it pulling me. And he goes into God's presence and he asks God to help. He prays as it goes on to say he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, my my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but you will. He surrenders, he prays, and God answers tells us that even an angel comes to him, strengthening him in that moment. And he gets up from Gethsemane. God answers his prayer. Doesn't change the situation. He's still going to die. The the world is still against him. All of it's going to happen, but he's strengthened for it. He comes out of that moment, not having, you know, fixed the situation, but stronger in the situation. And that's exactly what's taking place here. That's a pretty incredible moment. That would help us to see it, and it should do something a little bit more for you. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. He says, when we come to our, our God, we have a high priest, which is Christ, 
He understands us. He understands what we go through. He understands what it is to believe in God and speak. This is hard. Everybody else is a liar. I mean, he knows what it's like to live in this world and feel what you feel. But he never sinned. He never walked away. He never turned his back on, on the Lord. But he fully comprehends what that's like. And so Hebrews tells us, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Simply put, if you believe this, if you believe that's the Savior we have, you'll run to him more. You'll pray to him more. You'll like, Jesus, you understand. <laughs> you totally understand. Like, I, I, I know the end of the story. I know this is going to work out. This is hard. I don't like it. It hurts. It's sorrowful. I, I feel the stress. I feel the pain. And people are disappointing, and they let me down. God, I, I can say that and hold to you at the same moment. And Jesus is like, yeah, I understand. And he says he would help us. He would help us. He would be our strength in that moment, that he would do that, and that is what God is offering to you this morning. I love that he gives it to us there in Psalm 116, that that's the point of it, and I love that that's what's unpacking for us here in 2 Corinthians. So let me try to say it one more time and just end us there. God's word is powerful. It accomplishes what he sent it for. If you took this verse to mean that we could, you know, have positive confession and, you know, speak, you know, think, then you would be wrong. You would be wrong. It's not the context. It's not the quote. But if you would look at this and say, hey, we have the same thing. Really? We have the same faith that Paul had. We have the same faith that David, that the Old Testament writers have. We have the same faith that Christ walked in for us. Where we get to come and say, God, I believe you but I get to be honest and say, hey, this is hard. I don't like it. And people disappoint me. And I can say that and be like, really? I can, that's, that's what he's offering to me, and that should wash over us in a sense of reality and purpose and power. So you can close your Bibles, your notebooks, whatever it is you have open, and I just want to invite you to let that land wherever it has. Whatever what he's spoken, I believe that God's word is good. I believe it's powerful that it doesn't return to him void without accomplishing the purpose that he sent it, and I hope that's what we've heard this morning. And if it's that way, I long for it to work, that it would work in you, that it would work in what he's intended that to be. So I just want to give you a moment. Wherever that landed for you this morning, whatever he spoke to you, we want to give you just a moment to pry. I'm going to give you just a quiet moment where you can just talk to God about that, about whatever that looks like, whatever that is, and in that quiet moment, you can just respond. I'm going to invite Erin up, and she's just going to play uh, just kind of quietly for us so that in the midst of that, it can be a space where you can just take that before God. So let's do that right now. Let's just take a quiet moment and just simply ask that God would work this into our lives. God, I love you. I love you, and you, you hear us. You answer prayers. 
I pray that would be known here today, and that response would be ours, that we would find ourselves, even from this morning, saying, God, I love you. I love how real you are. I love that you're a God who sees us and knows us. Jesus, we look upon you, our great high priest. We think about your perfect life that you lived. We think about your suffering. We think about Gethsemane. And we want to thank you. We want to thank you both for fully walking in that and yet just the joy of your never failing. And yet somehow in the midst of that finding, you to be our help in a greater way that we get to come to you and say, God, I want that. Jesus, I want that. I want that spirit of faith that can believe you and be honest at the same moment and be able to say, God, these are hard things. There's some hard things that we're going through. There are hard things happening in this room right now. Some are facing sickness. Some have walked through death uh, of a family member. Some are facing those things. All of us are heading towards that. And yet to be able to come and say, God, I believe you. I trust you. I know you're good. I know you're working good today. I know where this goes. And yet, Lord, you've had a purpose in what we're going through right now, that the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ would be so seen. May it be reflected in these jars of clay. May it be reflected in our hard and even hard spaces in a way that makes it more connecting, that takes the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ and makes it real into people's lives. God, do that again. Thank you that that's what you're doing today, and I trust you. God, I believe you. I believe you with the same spirit of faith, and I'm glad to do so. Thank you for it. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're doing. We honor you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May God take that and make it just meet you right where you are. If you have questions, we're here. If you're one that needs to take that cup of salvation to receive that gift, hey, we'd love to be a part of it. Come up and talk to us afterwards. We're here. Love to walk with you in that. Right now, we want to close in worship, though. Why don't you stand? And we're going to just sing a couple songs together, just worshiping God, just letting that roll across our hearts to Him. And in that, though, I want to just take a moment and bless you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.